You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Father Jason Leffer joining me, Father James Gross from the Diocese of Fargo here on Real Presence Live. If it's been a while since you've checked out the website of Real Presence Radio, at realpresenceradio.com, we invite you to do so for a number of different reasons. You can get an updated schedule of the programming that we receive uh, all day, you know, on weekdays as well as weekends. You can uh, check out the submitted prayer requests that people are offering to, to share with us. And if you have prayer requests of your own, you can submit them as well. You can also download the app for Real Presence Radio and be able to take us with you wherever you happen to go. So that website is realpresenceradio.com. Well, we have with us on the phone here uh, one of the dignitaries, I guess you might say, from uh, uh, the Diocese of Fargo, Tim Olson. Welcome to Real Presence Live. Thank you, Father. Hey, is it true, Tim, that whenever we come in your presence, we're supposed to genuflect on our left knee? Oh, is that right. just a rumor? No, obviously, obviously, no. That's, <laughs> that's not necessary, but always appreciated. <laughs> you know, um, you, you do um, bear a great responsibility for our diocese, and you do a tremendous job of it, and I'm so very grateful to that. But also on the personal level, I, I know you pretty well, Tim, and so I, I always appreciate being able to have a lighter side as well. And I always appreciate your your uh, willingness to hold things lightly and, and, and joke and tease. And I think that's that's very important to have balance because I think in your role that you play in the church, oftentimes I think it might be referred to as the kidney or the liver of the body of Christ where a lot of really painful and difficult things flow through uh, your responsibility. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I would say there's a fair amount of accuracy to that, yeah. Right, right. Well, let's talk about that title, first of all, Chancellor, because when I think of that word, there are a lot of universities that use that as a title for the president of the institution. And I think even some countries, uh, you know, Germany, they call their uh, head of state the chancellor. I I, I believe they still do. So, um, you know, literally speaking, what does that uh, title mean in terms of shedding light on uh, the the, uh, job position that you currently hold? Yeah, so uh, the chancellor in the Catholic Church is more like the um, uh, use of chancellor in a government institution rather than an educational institution. Um, So chancellor is a position in government. Uh, uh, Famously, St. Thomas More was the chancellor of of, uh, Great Britain. Uh, There are people who are relied on by the people who have actual power to assist them in exercising their, their work. Typically what that means is um, providing legal advice, in my case it's canonical uh, legal advice, uh, and uh, doing, the, doing the paperwork and the, um, the things that are necessary for the decisions of the, of the bishop uh, to actually come into effect. Very good. Do you have to, is it, is it required that you're a canon lawyer in order to be a chancellor of the diocese? No, it's uh, it's not required, um, but historically it, it is the case. Um, we we haven't uh, had a canon lawyer in this position in our diocese for quite some time. Um, but if you look at at Europe, um, um, most dioceses their chancellor would uh, would be a canon lawyer. And again, the reason for that is that um, kind of one of the principal jobs of a chancellor, uh, historically speaking, is to draft documents, uh, canonical documents specifically 
for the bishop. So the bishop would would let us know his desire, and then the person who drafts up the decree and makes it conform to the legal requirements of canon law would typically be a chancellor or a different notary of that sort. So it would be very advantageous to be a canon lawyer if you're the chancellor. I find it to be so, yes. <laughs> and and is it a requirement that you are an ordained priest of the Catholic Church to be a chancellor? Uh, it is not, which is very good, because uh, otherwise it would be very naughty for Bishop to have put me here, because <laughs> a, I'm a married man, and I am in no way, shape, or form ordained to the presbytery <laughs> or diaconate. Now, why, why is it possible that you it, it doesn't have to be a priest? Can you help our listeners understand why, why that's possible? Sure. Essentially what it comes down to is um, I don't have any of my own authority. Um, anything that I do, I do on the bishop's behalf. And so um, I'm not exercising um, any kind of um, oversight role. I'm, I'm not, um, you know, priests uh, have a specific um, duty of headship in the church. Um, and... Uh, as a layperson, I don't have that same sort of duty, um, but it's, uh, it's completely acceptable and indeed um, necessary for laypeople to cooperate in the exercise of power of governance. And in this case, um, you know, the bishop will give me something to do, I'll prepare it, and then bishop is the one who is actually exercising his governance authority. He just uses me for drafting and preparing those sorts of things. So you're, you're like the draft horse for the bishop. Right. He, uh, has, he, has, uh, he has the reins and the whip. And, uh, <laughs> so, okay, now, uh, a week ago or two Sundays ago, um, Bishop Folder for the Diocese of Fargo made a major announcement. Can you, can you tell us what that announcement was? Yeah, uh, Bishop announced that the Diocese of Fargo will be starting its third synod of the di- uh, diocesan synod, so third synod of the Diocese of Fargo. We'll pause as, as Tim checks his phone. No, so wh- what what does that mean, Tim? What what, what is a synod, and, and, and what does that have to do with you? Sure. So a diocesan synod is a um, uh, a diocesan synod is a gathering of people who uh, the bishop calls together to uh, assist him in exercising his governing authority. Um, in the case of a synod, he's pulling out a number of people, priests, laypersons, religious. Um, to give him advice and feedback and consultation on the direction that the diocese should go. And at the uh, celebration of the synod, the things that have been discussed are voted on, and then that vote is handed over to the bishop for him to um, seriously consider how he should move forward. Uh, So uh, my role, as far as that goes, is actually fairly minimal. Um, uh, I'm just kind of there to uh, assist in drafting documents, the, the people who are doing the real boots on the groundwork in that are people like um, uh, like Steve Splanskowski, who um, works for the diocese and our evangelization office. Uh, and, of course, then also those people who are actually participating, those members of the parishes uh, who are selected to um, specifically assist Bishop in discussing these questions that are of great import to the future of our diocese. Okay, so the announcement says it's a three-year process. The first year has to do with prayer, second year has to do with gathering and listening, and third year has to do with legislation. Is, is that normal? Is it always a three-year process? Or, or, or what should we understand here as people who will be taking part in this? Yeah, no, actually, it's, uh, this is a, a longer process than is uh, typical, and I think the reason for that is that Bishop is really wanting to underscore the importance of um, 
of prayer in this process. That's why he set aside the entire first year to really emphasize the need to be formed in prayer before making large decisions in the life of our local diocesan church. Um, so that first year, I think, is pretty atypical. Normally you would see, you know, maybe there's a liturgy or two at a, uh, in the course of a diocesan synod, but there would not typically be a full year of preparation in the sense of prayer. Um, like you said, our second year there is uh, listening sessions. Uh, Bishop is having li- listening sessions in each deanery of the diocese. Um, some dioceses, or excuse me, some deaneries are having more than one listening session just to make sure that everyone will be able to attend these. Um, and and those are those are wide open to the public. Uh, that's times when bishop and other diocesan staff will be present to hear the concerns that are coming up from the parishes, um, the things that need attention, uh, so that those can be um, enveloped into a wider pastoral plan. Now, and if I remember correctly, and I, it's been a while since I looked at it, but if I remember correctly, I think from the 1951 Synod, um, some legislation that came forth was that every priest should have access to a car. When a priest rides in a car, he can't ride in the front or the back with his housekeeper, and every rectory should have a telephone. So, I mean, it's like really real practical things. Is there... Is there something like that that's going to happen at the end of this synod where then you, in the form of law for the diocese, it gets shaped and molded and written into law for the priests and the laity of the diocese? So there are two distinct types of um, of diocesan synods. One is the sort you just described, Father Jason, um, uh, where, um, uh, where at the end of it will come out a, essentially a legal code. Um, that is not the sort that we're doing here. Ours is the second type. Uh, which is more towards pastoral planning. So at the end, you wouldn't expect to get, you know, uh, a book of laws. You would expect to get several um, statements of intention, like, for example, um, the uh, uh, Diocese of Springfield in Illinois, they had a uh, diocesan synod several years ago, and one of the decrees of the synod uh, that was voted on by the members and ultimately approved by the bishop was that they would um, they would be focusing on discipleship as the, as the model of evangelization in their diocese, um, and then that would lead to practical effects that would maybe come out in policy manuals or in what is technically called particular law, which is those those um, rulings that the bishop makes going forward. So what we would be looking at is more the sort of thing that happened in the diocese of Springfield, where bishops looking to talk with our, with our people here in the diocese to see um, what do we need. What's the direction that we as a diocese should go overall? And then, then those smaller things will be, um, will be determined subsequently. Very good. Um, we'll be taking a break in just a moment here, but I wanted to just step back before we do more of the deep dive into the work that you do in the church to give us a little bit of your background and your journey. How does a, how does a, a kid from Jamestown uh, decide to come and, and work for the church? Uh, yeah, um, so uh, I have always been um, very involved with the church. Um, I, you know, I was an altar server at a young age. Um, you know, I, I think the first time I served at the altar, I was maybe three or four years old, and I was serving at a nursing home. Uh, I'm convinced I wasn't very helpful at that time, but it was still a, it was it was still very helpful for me. Right. Um, ultimately, I uh, ended up attending seminary for several years, and um, at the end of that time, I realized I didn't have a priestly vocation, um, but I knew I was still called to service in the church. So after a couple of years as a missionary with the Fellowship of Catholic University students, uh, I then went on to study canon law. Uh, and it was in my role as a canon lawyer that I uh, became involved with um, the administration in the Diocese of Fargo. 
Right. And uh, you've also had a hand, obviously, in, in, in tribunal work for the diocese as well. Um, how, how have you... Um, how have you found that? Uh, how have you? How has that gone for you so far? Yeah. So, uh, uh, starting in 2013, I started working in the tribunal here, and the tribunal, as um, uh, some of you may know, is um, the place where the church decides uh, legal questions, most commonly things having to do with the invalidity of marriage. Uh, and so, the, of course, when you're dealing with such difficult um, uh, and often heartbreaking stories, um, you know that's a uh, that, that's a that's a tough place to be, um, but it's an important work in the church, and I always found it very fulfilling, um, helping people come to the recogni- recognition of their reality. You know, are you married? Are you not married? What did that mean in your life? Uh, I've always found that very fruitful, helping people recognize the truth, even sometimes when the sure. truth isn't necessarily the thing that they would have hoped it would be. Right. We'll continue more with our conversation here with the Chancellor of the Diocese of Fargo, Tim Olson, after this break, as we have one more segment to go for Real Presence Live. And uh, please stay with us. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. We have all lost someone to the reality of death, some more tragic than others. I'm Father Chris Alar. While grieving is a natural process, it helps if you know how to navigate your way through it. As my friend Sammy Wood says, you can never get over a tragic loss, but you can get through it. Come to know the stages of grief, which are acute, integrated, and complicated grief. Seek help whenever needed, either from a friend or especially from medical professionals. There is no shame in asking for help. Remember, Jesus accepted the help of his followers while bearing the weight of the cross on his way to Calvary. Don't go it alone. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. S.J. Machine, proudly named after and dedicated to St. Joseph, provides quality machining and induction heat treating to a variety of industries. Just as St. Joseph worked diligently to meet his family's needs, S.J. Machine strives to understand and meet your production needs. Prototype to production, working together towards success. S.J. Machine can be reached at 701-347-0155 and are a proud supporter of the Real Presence Radio Network. Do you know a priest who has made a difference in your life or at your parish? One who has helped you through a loss, discern an important decision, or celebrated the sacraments with you and your family? Real Presence Radio would like to know about these amazing priests. Visit our website at realpresenceradio.com slash contact to nominate your priest. And each week on Real Presence Live, we will recognize one of our priests with a dozen donuts generously donated by a local business. Help us honor our fathers by nominating your priest today. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to Real Presence Live. Fathers Leffer and Gross from the Diocese of Fargo hosting today. Just a reminder that in case you want to hear again or if you've missed any programs from the uh, week's uh, Real Presence Live uh, editions that we have for you, Encore presentations air on Saturdays uh, in the order in which they appear through the days of the week, beginning at 6 a.m. Central Time, 5 a.m. Mountain Time. And so that gives you another opportunity to listen uh, again to an interview that uh, you may have caught and wanted to touch touch base with once again or to remind people uh, if they missed a, a certain program on a certain day. And so we are with Tim Olson, the Chancellor of the Diocese of Fargo. And uh, you, Father Leffer, you had particular questions to yeah. ask about... So, uh, so uh, Tim, I know you're a focused missionary at NDSU, as was Michelle Dupong. And, and yesterday, uh, Bishop Kagan for the Diocese of Bismarck announced that they're starting the the, the process of investigation to for possible canonization for Michelle on the universal level of the church. And so I thought, I don't know if you have any personal comments on that. And then also, well, what, what, what role would the chancellor, say for the Diocese of Bismarck, I guess it would be, how does that process go about or what happens or what are the steps that moving forward to have somebody canonized as a saint? Sure. So, um, uh, I, I did know her. Um, I, I can't say that we were particularly close, but we, um, we overlapped a little bit when we were, uh, at school and, um, uh, she was very good friends with a lot of my friends. And, um, I, I remember when she was, uh, was sick and in her final illness that she had huge impacts on the lives of, um, of all the people who were around her. I mean, it was really inspiring that even, you know, a step removed seeing the impact that her witness had, um, as she was going through her, you know, just um, crushing illness, the the faith that she re- retained, the inspiration that she provided for others, and from what from what um, friends of mine who uh, spent a lot of time with her told me, uh, the comfort that she gave them uh, in the midst of her illness, um, she was a, a huge gift to the church. I'm I'm very excited to hear that they've started the process for her. Um, uh, uh, in 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 one sense, I'm I'm a little surprised that it it took this long because there's been a there's been a big sense of her, um, her outstanding holiness uh, for quite a while. So I'm, I'm very, very excited to hear that Bishop Kagan has done this. It's a, it's a great step for not only the Universal Church, but the Church in the, uh, in the Midwest and uh, the Diocese of Bismarck in particular to have a patron like her would be a real blessing. And, and I'm sure Focus would, uh, you know, would be very happy too to have a saint there. And I oh, think yeah. of Father Cheney and all the, all the labors he's done too. And I mean, it just blesses everybody. Yeah, you know, as, as, you know, as anyone who's ever gotten a letter from the Fellowship of Catholic University students like to uh, would know, they really like to tell you how many priests have come out of there, how many nuns, how many holy marriages. <laughs> uh, to be able to put at the top of the newsletter <laughs> that uh, a bona fide saint came out of the program would be a, a great blessing. And so, what, what would uh, the canon lawyer or the chancellor? What, how, what role do you would you play officially to for a process like that? How does that work? Yeah, so um, a, a canon lawyer is definitely involved. So, what a lot of people don't know about the um, the process for the naming of a saint is that it's actually a judicial process. Um, so, this isn't a thing where we go, oh well, you know, was she a nice person? Yes, no. It's actually a, a full-on judicial process. There's a court process that occurs. Um, there's a um, there's an individual referred to as the promoter, uh, who's kind of like the um, kind of like the attorney for her holiness. He's the one who uh, uh, is tasked with proving that she lived a life of outstanding virtue. Um, and um, uh, when the, that initial stuff is gathered, uh, it's all done under oath. 
um, it's taken in the presence of notaries. Um, uh, that that information is then compiled ultimately and sent on to the Holy See, where they continue a judicial process to determine whether or not um, her sanctity is evident. Uh, it's a very it's a very long process. Um, it's not um, it's not open and shut. Um, you, you might have heard the term before, the devil's advocate. Um, right. That actually comes from the uh, the process for the naming of a saint. Uh, we don't use that term anymore. Uh, we now use the term promoter of justice for that role. But um, <laughs> but the the that that you know there's there's another there's another side on the table, right? Who's arguing? No, this person doesn't have that level of sanctity. Um, it, it, it's a uh, the church takes it so seriously that she she holds a trial to determine if someone uh, right. is worthy to be raised to the altar. Right, and it's not to be taken. It's not be taken personally with regard to various things. It's just the examination of the evidence in order to uh, verify things that are being brought forward. Right? Can we prove that this is an outstandingly holy individual? Not only was this a holy individual, but can we prove this was an outstandingly holy individual? Mm-hmm. Now, in your position, and there are numerous dioceses, of course, throughout the United States and throughout the world that have uh, uh, lay people in uh, cha- the chancellorship or you know things similar to that. Why do you think that it's important for someone in your particular vocation to be contributing uh, in this way uh, in the church? Yeah, um, you know, for me, um, uh, I think for me, it's the shortage of priests, right? Um, you know, I I I know hundreds of priests. Uh, <laughs> um, my wedding had uh, uh, more priests than anyone else. Enough that my my wife told me I couldn't invite any more deacons because there were too many clerics <laughs> at my wedding. Uh, so so you know, I, priests priests are some of my best friends in the world, um, and uh, I don't know a one of them who got ordained to do paperwork. And I think any priest that did get ordained to do paperwork. Um, probably missed his mark. Um, <laughs> and, and so, um, you know, what's the real value that a priest has? It's um, in the charism he has of ruling, and it's in the charism he has of sanctifying through the sacraments. And uh, uh, those, are, those are things that can't be replaced. You know, that's something that a layperson can't do. I can't uh, confect the Eucharist. I can't hear confessions. Um, but those things are so absolutely vital that every priest we can free to be out in the world doing his priestly ministry instead of being caught in the important work of administration, but nevertheless, that's not the, the primary thing that a priest is called to do. And so being in a position to be able to take that load off of the Church to, um, to make it possible for her priests to be in priestly ministry, um, I, that, that's what I personally see as my, um, my small V vocation in this. Um, you know, as a husband and father, uh, I've got the I've got the freedom to do a you know a, a nine to five job that involves paperwork. But our priests they don't have the freedom to do that because they need to be able to go and do their sick calls, and they they need to be able to be available to their people in a way that you simply can't do when you're doing paperwork. And so, being in a position to take that load off a priest is really important to me. And I think that we will see more and more lay people stepping into these roles to. Um, assist the priest to live out their priestly identity more fully, uh, and those of us who have specific expertise um, can lighten the load for our priests. Yeah. Well, we certainly appreciate the position that you are taking in our midst in the Diocese of Fargo, the work that you're doing. So um, thanks for taking the time to chat with us about it, and uh, blessings to you and your family. Thank you very much, Fathers. Have a great day.
You're very welcome. Thank you. Uh, Before we wrap things up for the hour, let's uh, toss to Mark in Control Central with a preview of the next show. On the next Real Presence Live, Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. Central, Father Brian Christensen and Karen Gives are your hosts coming to you live from the Cathedral of Our Lady of Perpetual Help in Rapid City, South Dakota. Tune in to meet the new Executive Director of the South Dakota Catholic Conference, Michael Pauley. Then, Father Jared Johnson from the Diocese of Bismarck will be on to discuss the relics of St. Bernadette. All that and much more is coming up on the next Real Presence Live, Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. Central. Very good. Thank you so much, as we just have a couple of minutes left to go here. You know, I, I just want to give a shout-out to all the people up in the, this area of uh, North Dakota or surrounding areas. We're, we're trying to hit Minnesota, uh, Canada, all of North Dakota, South Dakota. But we got the Nepomuk Gnarly going on. It's our, it's our effort to bring new life to our, our small community. Nepomuk is where St. John Apomacene is from. It, it's the gravel region. We are the gravel region. And gravel, gravel cycling is the craze right now. It's hitting the whole world everywhere. And so on July 23rd, we're having this huge event. I think there's over like $18,000 in cash and prizes being given away and trying to draw people in from all over. It's family friendly. There's going to be live music. There's going to be street fair. There's going to be kids rides. There's be train ride for kids there's every level of from little kids to professionals to be able to to ride and come and have fun again it's uh, saturday july 23rd just love for the listeners to hear this be inspired and come and have a reason to come to Pisic, north dakota for one day out of the year, July 23rd. So it's called Nepomuk Gnarly. Fantastic. You know, this this began just last fall, right? And That's it's right. really starting to uh, catch fire here and take off for it you is. guys. It is, yes. Yep. That is exciting. That's terrific. And I just wanted to mention very briefly something that you brought to my attention before the uh, show began. An interesting article here in Catholic News Agency. The Archdiocese of Guadalajara, Mexico, ordained 70 men to the priesthood in wow. two separate ceremonies held on June 4th and 5th at the Mexican Martyrs Shrine in that city. Um, 33 in the first uh, ceremony and then 32nd at the second Mass. Do you you think the bishop would have to stop to to get a drink of water or something in the midst of that? Wow! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's a a whole lot of hands laying on, isn't it, uh, throughout the course of that? 70 priests! Yeah, yeah, just, just kind of imagine the volume of all of that. So, blessings to all of them and these wonderful things that are happening throughout the course of the world and the church. Thank you for tuning up, tuning into uh, Real Presence Live today. That wraps up our show. Stay tuned for more great programming on Real Presence Radio as Women Made New with Kristalina Evert is coming up next. So on behalf of Father Jason Leffer, Father James Gross, uh, wishing blessings upon you and your household and your family. God bless you. This has been Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Real Presence Live brings you inspirational stories of faith and a look at the good and holy things happening in our local area. Weekday mornings from 9 to 11 Central. Tune in for an encore of each show beginning Saturday morning at 6. Get the podcast any time of day or night at yourcatholicradiostation.com or on the Real Presence Radio app. And remember, you can be a part of the conversation through Facebook and Twitter. Real Presence Live, local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network.